Hi guys, welcome to a brand new episode of NHBF Shines On. I'm Brooke Evans and just like you, I run my own salon. I wanted to have real conversations with some of my favourite people in the industry about the highs and the lows in hair and beauty. Today, we're lucky to be joined by a giant in the hairdressing industry, Dom Lehane. Dom has been a hairdresser for more than 30 years and is the founder of Hair Club Live, a free online event that showcases young creative hairdressers. He's also the host of the wildly successful How to Cut It in the Hairdressing Industry, a podcast that is amazing at bringing you behind the scenes interviews in the hair and beauty industry. A fourth generation hairdresser, Dom is someone who lives and breathes hairdressing and his podcast is a must listen if you're trying to break into the industry. Today on the podcast, NHBF shines on Dom Lehane. So hi Dom, we know you have quite a long CV. Do you mind telling our listeners who you are and what you do? Hiya, Brooke. Nice to be sat in this chair being interviewed by you. So (laughs) the vast majority have got to know me through the Hair Club Live days initially, but probably more so with the podcast that we've been doing for over five and a half years, doing the How to Cut It podcast. Uh, It's absolutely nuts. And it's crazy when you look at the whole sort of journey of where we've gone and how we've gone. I still have to pinch myself a little bit. You're very well known in the hair industry for lots of different things, podcasting, hosting. But when did you know you wanted to be a hairdresser? So my family history is hairdressing. So my mum, my nan and my great nan. My great nan, by the way, was the most successful of all of us. She had salons in London back in the 20s. So so hairdressing has always been around us, but it, it never came on my radar, Brooke. I, I've got to be honest, I, I was a very typical lad, always wanted to put on an event. My mum had a salon. Uh, I grew up around a salon in my teens and it was very much a local salon. So my first real entry into salon life was the hood dryers. Mm-hmm. Very local. So it wasn't the most glamorous for a young lad who was growing up However, I can remember the conversation we had gone away. We were sat down with family, friends, and that usual conversation comes up, doesn't it, Brooke? You know, what are you going to do when you leave school? <laughs> uh, and I, I, truthfully, I, I had no idea. I wasn't going to be changing the world through academics. I can certainly tell you that. And then it came up. They said to us, they said, would hairdressing be of an interest? You know, your mum's got a salon. And, and actually, at the time, I was like, no. Anyway, it kind of got in my mind. We began reading hairdresser's journal that was my first real sort of interest into it and and I saw everything that was going on and I think then was a moment it kind of came on my radar and I think flicking through the pages it it showed me a world of the industry that wasn't my mum's local salon which was called Goldilocks what a name Goldilocks hair studio how fortunate that you picked up a HJ magazine and saw it and had been to Salon International because maybe if you didn't, you might not have been doing it. But the, the thing about this, Brooke, is that I wasn't going to go and work at Goldilocks Hair Studio. I, you know, I didn't fancy standing there washing old ladies and rinsing perms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, there was Sync on TV at that time that started called The Clothes Show and there was a program called Hair and it had this guy on there called Trevor Sorby. I thought, oh, he seems really cool. I wrote a letter. To, to work at Trevor Sorby, yes, a letter. And I sent it off to 
the Covent Garden Salon. And and I think actually it wasn't long open. It must have only been about a year and a half, two years. And two weeks later, this grey envelope comes through the post and I open it. It was the first time I really ever applied for a job because I was helping out in my mum's shop while I was sort of 14, 15. And, and I had an interview and I was just like, whoa, this is mental. And yeah, that led me on to that journey to start Trevor Sorbis in, in 1986, Covent Garden. No way. I never knew that. I never knew you worked at Trevor Sorby. That's mad. It, it was mad. And do you know who I was a trainee for? He's a well-known session hairstylist. Really well-known. Really iconic. I'll let you have one guess. Angelo Seminara. No, good guess, because he did work there. It was Eugene Solomon. Oh, no way! Yeah, he was just brilliant. Uh, he was just so, so nice and so down-to-earth. He was a joker. And I remember he just blew my mind with him doing hair because the way he done hair was absolutely incredible and yeah it was a huge honour a huge honour to stand there but I'm afraid my hometown pulled me back in time I got a bit homesick afraid to admit so back to young Dom 16 moved to London what was life like down in London do you know what it was expensive Mm -hmm. it was the mid 80s so there were lots of things going on culturally at that point it was lonely for me because I actually stayed at friends of the family but it was actually an environment that was really sad and now looking back as a relatively sensible adult it was my mum's best friend and their family and sadly she had passed away to cancer my mum's best friend and that house so I went and stayed there because they had a young son similar age just a bit younger and I think they kind of felt you know this would be nice so I stayed with them and it felt sad and it was on the outer edges of London, Barnet, and, and I was travelling in every day down the Northern Line and I just really, I missed home. I missed my friends, mm-hmm. if, if I'm being honest. And I felt quite removed, Brooke, because I'm a Midlander, you know, a bit like yourself, you know, I'm based in the Midlands and, and I think it was all a bit overwhelming for me at 16. I was the first school leaver that they'd ever taken on. They normally took on Vardering. Uh, stylist because they were all stylists but you had to go and work a year so it they kind of they took a bit of a punt on me and I think maybe they were right to and I think they maybe saw maybe I was too young for that sort of environment I didn't experience the going out and social life of London I've got to be honest I worked really late I mean it it was tough you you train three nights a week and more often not during the week you got back at about half 10 11 o'clock at night It, it really was tough going and the salon life it was strict so I think it all in all it was about a year that I lasted there and my mates were all in the sixth form Brooke and they were going out locally and I wanted to be going out with them in town so <laughs> every weekend I'd hop back on the train and and come back to, to to Northampton what I'd ever say to anybody you've got to be really ready for London London's fast paced it it's a different world you, you know, some people are cut out for it and some aren't and I just mm. truthfully I don't know if I was ever really cut out for it at that time. And I think it's great that you've touched on that, I think, because there's lots of hairdressers, you know, that, yeah, let's go to London, live the London life. And actually, the reality of that is very different. And I think when you're at the likes of Trevor Sorby or you're at some really great industry names, you know, there's expectations. You're not just going to be going there and, you know, playing with hair. You've got to work. And if you want to progress, you've got to work harder and later. And, you know, it's great for people who want to do that, but it, it isn't for everyone. And I think it's really good that you've touched on that because you can clearly make a success of yourself, not just being in London.
As someone who has worked with their mum, what was it like having your mum work with you? How did that come about? Yeah, so I came back about a year later and so I went back to my mum's salon. So you could imagine the culture shock of Trevor Sorby, Goldilocks Hair Studio. It, it was a major culture shock. But actually, do you know what? I got such a good grounding from obviously Trevor Sorby, but then also the everyday local hairdresser. So when anybody talks to me about local hairdressers and, and actually the reality of hairdressing, I get it. I understand it. I know it. It's not like somebody who's in this flash media world who's completely removed from it. I understand it. But I went to college, done my sitting guilds whilst on something called the YTS, Youth Training Scheme. Done that. College was brilliant. I absolutely love going to college one day a week. That was just fantastic could enter hair competitions then a job came up in in our local town center it sounded so exciting it was like this new salon uh, the guy they're gonna have an artistic director and they're gonna have all these great names coming in and i went to work there and it, it was just brilliant and that finished off my training well which then led on to me doing work with a brand they were called garnier and they were looking for hairdressers who would go around the country just demonstrating these products on stage in places like Boots and Superdrug. But it was great because I was like, what, 20? We toured around shopping centres. Again, I felt like a bit of a rock star uh, at that age because it was all young schoolgirls and I was young and it was just buzzing. It was a brilliant time, but that was a year contract. And at this point, I'm like thinking, what's next? You know, I'm going to come away from this great job. Do I go back to salon? And, you know, at this point, I think I was 20 one 22 but i think there was that little part of me where for i want a, a salon i want one of these gorgeous salons and be a salon owner and have people working alongside us and then uh, you know i spoke to my mum about it and you could see she had that complete look in her face of how on earth are you going to afford this well i don't know you don't think of those things and she then said to us she said well look she said would you consider coming into the business with me and that weren't my dream you know, being in partnership at Goldilocks Hair Studio was not kind of where I saw the <laughs> dream. But, you know, my mum was like, yeah, come on. She was ready, I think, for a change and a bit of youth energy. And my mum, who's still a hairdresser today, bless her heart, good old Janice. Wow. Yeah. So and she still does hair. Incredible, really. Just shows you how much of a long career it can be. And, and we set up and my nan actually loaned me £10,000 to go into the partnership at the salon. And w was I really ready for it? Was I? Probably not, if the truth be told. But it was great. Me and my mum worked really, really well. Great deal of respect. And it, it, it changed. And, the, and you could see that the business was really starting to grow because I think we brought a young edge to the salon in a local suburb of Northampton. <laughs> Talk to us about how to cut it. How did the idea for creating a podcast come about? We, we published it the very first episode, 2017, which was an intro with myself and then the first interview with Tom Connell. But the process to get into how to cut it was the fun part. So we'd started something called Hair Club Live, which we kind of created back in the early days of 2007 that grew into a community which then grew into doing live events and a partnership with two respected people in the industry but the podcast was inspired by me sitting on a beach listening to these new things that I'd never heard of before called podcasts and I'd always had a, an iOS phone ever since they came out and I'd never looked on this thing called podcast but I knew it was always there 
And yeah, we, we clicked on that icon and it opened me up to a world of just information, certainly on the things that I were interested in. And, and a lot of that was very much about online business. And there was a guy called Pat Flynn and I just love what he'd done. And he was so, so good at podcasting, like really at the, the top of his game. He was American, very Americanized. And then I just sat down and I thought, you know what? we could create a podcast too. And and I followed the whole guide on how to create a podcast, how to produce it, how to edit it. And, and that is exactly what we've done. I mean, as a, somebody who has listened to however many of your podcasts, they are amazing. It kept everybody going through, especially lockdown. You know, sometimes you don't have time to listen to them all the time. I think people were like chaining back to back on your How to Cut It podcast, which was yeah, it kept a lot of people sane, which was incredible. You're very proud of still running your own salon. And surely that must be getting harder and harder with everything that you have on your plate. The podcast. Honestly, if anybody tells me this is easy and quick, I will give them a reality check very quickly because <laughs> it so isn't. I'm very much in control of what we do and how we do it. But the future of where we're going next is extremely exciting. And I think there is going to become a point probably next four or five months that it will be just solely the media but i will probably keep a handy with my hairdressing because i think that keeps me relevant yeah and actually i still like the behind the chair moment but not all day i don't want to be there 12 hours a day and for mm -hmm. me now it's just that relevance and still keeping my hand in and the engagement and the relationships that you build with clients over the years. But I think, yeah, next four or five months, the company will and the media brand will be solely just that. I think there comes a part where, where a lot of people in hairdressing probably get to the point where you don't want to be behind a chair all the time. And then mm -hmm. probably you're, you're yourself, Brooke, you're, you've got a salon, you love doing hair in the process, but the actual, there comes a point in everybody's career where you want to slightly work differently to how you've always been working and hairdressing is great but it's it's hard going hairdressing we all know is really intense it's an intense relationship with clients your headspace is never your own headspace when you're working on clients because your headspace is given to clients and yeah clients will often say and i'm sure they'll say maybe to you that sometimes oh i bet it's hard work standing on your feet and i, I always think to myself it's not the standing on my feet it's actually the engagement with clients and, and I, I try and say to people, what I say, try and visualize the situation if you're in a bus queue and somebody talks to you for an hour and then they go and someone else comes and talks to you for another hour. That's kind of what it can feel like sometimes for hairdressers. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very yeah, mentally tiring. So, yeah, I think you sometimes just want to make a side move and keep in the industry, but go in a slightly different direction. Yeah, I, I actually couldn't agree more than on that. I think it is difficult and I think it's difficult as well if you are a hairdresser in an area like where I am, maybe where you are, I'm not so sure, and that's less fashion-led. And if you're a creative, that's when you then spend a lot of your time doing both and that's when you have zero time for yourself. So I completely can relate with that. Sometimes you just need to step back from something to let another thing evolve, which is what you're doing now. Well, do you not agree, though, Brooke, that lockdown kind of gave us a bit of that? Mm -hmm. And I, I think you saw that from a lot of hair professionals, that lockdown suddenly made them realise, actually, I quite like this side of my life. And there's no coincidence that our industry has changed huge amounts, you know, since we've all come back after lockdown. And it's just, I think people have looked at ways that they've been having their life. And I think they enjoyed that headspace and the, the, 
the time that you suddenly had for different things that maybe wasn't always there. So how can we work differently? How can we make a bit of a shift? So I, I think lockdown gave us a taste of that that we've never quite had before. As someone who has interviewed more than 200 hairdressers and barbers, what do you think is the most common thing most hairdressers or barbers are struggling with? Well, if you're talking to salon owners, staff, <laughs> there's no no getting away from that. I think staffing is uh, without a shadow of a doubt. So I think it depends on who you're talking to there, Brooke. I think if it's salon owners, their concerns are very different. Rising costs are clearly a major part of it. But I think it's the shift of how our industry is. The industry is changing. Whether we like that or not, we've got to change with that industry. And and I get excited by it rather than being fearful of it. And there's no point saying, you know, but it's now you know, being freelance, self-employed, rent to chairs. That's how it is. So I think employers are, will have their time. I think there will come a, a whole turn around where things may start to change on that again trends change i think for actual the hairdressers barbers i think one of the biggest challenges that they talk about is the what next and that doesn't get covered sometimes and i think for me the what next is what probably likes of your you are doing with the podcast is certainly what we're trying to do is to give people a pathway and by the what next, I mean, if they work for you, Brooke, it's, well, what's next for me with Brooke? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that will be just very happy being a stylist for life, but what next? And that's where I think our biggest problem is with the industry is the what next is, well, can I own a salon or be my own person? And it's very easy to be your own business and your own brand today. And I understand why lots of hair professionals want to be their own brand because you can have an Instagram profile and you can create your brand and identity how you want. Also, people feeling removed. We're in such a small circle of the industry and that really frustrates me. Mm -hmm. we, we've got to make sure that we bring in the girl who's based in some suburban hair salon in Halifax who has no idea about you, me, the hair awards. So those are problems for people. You know, how can they get connected? How can they feel part of everything and get involved in this and earning more money? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Ultimately, everybody wants to, you know, there's nothing wrong in us all saying we all want to earn the money that can give us the lifestyles. It's not to have always the materialistic stuff, but it's about having that freedom and that enjoyment and being able to plan for the future. And that's a problem, I think, that lots of hairdressers have to deal with. They don't think about the pensions, which are incredibly dull and boring, but it is all that stuff. So salon owners, staff, no doubt about it. Hairdressers, the what next? I've got a very close connection with my team and we constantly speak about where they're going. And I know that I've got staff that will one day go on to open their own salon and they want the awards. And then I've got some staff that are quite happy to stay with me for years and work for me under my name. And I think, you know, you've got to really have that conversation and you've also got to be willing as a salon owner to know that people out there have got ambition. You can feed that ambition, but you can't give what they want sometimes. And that's okay. Like stop trying to, you know, I think almost limit them. I think that's one of the best things. I think for any salon owner that's trained and nurtured their team, and to see them go on and do things. And in years to come, they kind of stand there with pride when a client says, oh, where did you train? Oh, I trained with Brooke. Oh, wow. You know, that it's almost great kudos for them to say they trained with you, Brooke. And that, that's really important, I think, for a salon owner. And, and I think what you just said there, to be able to recognize that and, and to be open and honest, that you know, we're not going to keep everybody 
for everyone. And I, I, I do hear us sometimes say as well is, oh, they're my family. I don't think they are your family. I, I've got to be truthfully honest on that. They're your work colleagues, they're your team, but they're not your family. Nobody is that loyal to you, I'm afraid. And and I've seen that. You you have people work for you for years. Oh, they love us and, and they're great and they love being here. They don't. And you've always got to be planning for that future, the next sort of process of people coming through, having the, the ranks of your team and, and, and growing them. And, that, and I think that's a skill. But I think it's trying to recognise that not everybody wants to be a salon owner. In fact, the vast majority. But it, I think so many of us go on to be salon owners because we don't know what else is our what next. But actually, our industry, what I've got most excited about of recent times is we're creating new career sectors within the industry. And I find that brilliant. You know, we're podcasting, media. That's a, a new sector. The, you've got people training people in mental health, well-being. We're creating new areas. And, and that, I think, is really important as an industry. We have to recognise that a lot of people don't want to always be behind the chair, but they love the industry. So what's next? Well, we're almost at the end of our podcast and to finish off, we do a quick fire questions. It's only a few questions and you just answer them with a few words. Okay. So what is your favourite hair product? Favourite hair product? Look, I've, I'm going to put it out there. I, I always worked with TG in the early days, so I'm going to go with some of the early days TG stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Small talk, small talk. The blow drying product for us. I don't know if they're still doing it, but I loved TG Small Talk. Okay. Who was the worst client you ever had? I don't think they mean names, as in more like <laughs> what was the reason for it? <laughs> well, the worst reason, I, I, I think the just being completely unrealistic. I think for me, it's when people show an image of a hairstyle, but actually the hairstyle is so ordinary but it's the face that they're looking at, not the hairstyle. <laughs> you try and explain that. So I think it's the uh, being clients that are completely unrealistic. What is the worst haircut you've ever gotten? Well, that's a long time ago, Brooke. <laughs> Personally received, that's a long time ago. My God, I, I had a I had a shocker of a perm back in the the early nineties. And for the older listeners, they'll know what I mean. You can research this out. His name was called Hunter on the Gladiators. Oh, really? And it looked a bit like that. It, it was wrong on every level, but I loved it at the time. I'm going to be researching this afterwards. Hunter. There you go. What is the worst haircut you've ever given? The worst haircuts I have given are haircuts that my clients love, but I'm embarrassed of. But you can't change them. They just like their hair looking crap. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? And you send it mm. out, you just, but that's how they want it. What is the biggest business mistake you've ever made? Opening up a men's grooming salon in Northampton Town Centre <laughs> in 1999. Easy. There you go. What advice would you give to your younger self? Go down the the hosting side of life production stage hosting that's where your heart lives i like live amazing and i like hosting i like making people smile 
Well, that's it, Dom. I have had the best time talking to you. Please, Dom, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? So How To Cut It is very simple. We're across all your social platforms at How To Cut It. And myself is Dom Lahane. And then if you want to check out the podcast and all podcast players, How To Cut It. And yeah, please keep a lookout. We've got something coming very, very soon. We've got a whole new look website coming. And, and that's where everything's going to be happening. That's How To Cut dot it that's it not dot com so keep a look out on that that is where everything is really going to be kicking off from so you'll be seeing that over the next few months and that will be the journey keeping my eyes peeled <laughs> it's gonna be good that's it for today's episode of nhbf shines on In our next episode, we'll continue to bring you the stories of the brightest lights in the hair and beauty industry, helping you to grow your business and with the help of NHBF, chart your course to salon success. Until next time, goodbye.